electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Market Whiplash. The Federal Reserve gives a wink and the markets go wild. I'm not looking for a tail or a dog. It's just all one big St. Bernard, one big dog. Making sense of a crazy week on Wall Street with Carlyle Group's David Rubenstein. What business people really want is some kind of certainty. And I think we'll have some uncertainty for a while until we know what Congress is likely to do. Investor appetite for certainty. Plus, speaking of appetite. We got to talk milk today. Not Not milk. milk. Oat milk brand Oatly going public on the NASDAQ today. CEO Tony Peterson on building a $10 billion drink. The reason why we started as a company, it was to create the best milk period. We didn't try to to mimic animal-based milk or anything like that. We just wanted to do a milk that was better for people and the planet. Those stories plus a peek into the dark side, what we know about the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack. It's Thursday, May 20th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And thank goodness it's Thursday because Wednesday, it was a wild ride, you could call it, a wild Wednesday, a whipsaw Wednesday. It was a crazy Wednesday. If you looked at anything from commodities to cryptocurrency, the Dow was down by as much as 587 points in the morning before pairing losses to just 164 points. Huge turnaround there. It was really the NASDAQ that was the big winner. I I would put this in the win category, coming back from down 1.7% all the way back up to down just three points. Cryptocurrencies also whipsawed. Bitcoin plunged as much as 31% during the day. It had a low of around $30,000, but it rebounded as well. came back by 33% in the afternoon. And in fact, if you're looking at where it's trading right now, check this out. Bitcoin is up 2.5% almost back to where we were yesterday at this time. So it's almost like you could wipe out the last 24 hours. Um, Unfortunately, there were billions of dollars that were lost and money that changed hands here and not the same people who were holding it necessarily uh, now as were just 24 hours ago. But a second ago, it was at 40,000, which is basically where we were yesterday. It wasn't just cryptocurrencies. It wasn't just the major averages. If you were looking at commodities, you saw some massive swings there, too. Lumber futures swinging incredibly wildly. First, they hit limit down yesterday, tumbling by 5%. Then they turned around and hit limit up when it turned positive and rallied 5% yesterday afternoon. So all the way from limit down to limit up all in the same day. And guys, about the only asset class that didn't seem to budge yesterday was the Treasury market. But guys, anywhere you looked yesterday, it was it was chaos and it was hard to take your eyes off of what was happening in the markets. I've seen 10 charts and, and they don't name them and they're all identical. And they all go up like this, and it's every, and it, it was everything. They said, "What's doing that?" And it's obviously the Fed, but they show every every asset class, uh, you know, commodities, stocks, crypto, everything. So when it moves, it, I mean, I'm not looking for a tail or a dog. It's just all one big Saint Bernard, one big dog. Can you believe what's causing it? That what we sort of knew, and that's that. You know, Druckenmiller talking about, I mean, the Fed is full bore. Sooner or later, that has to stop. It just does. It just does. And, and, you know, these 
we always talk about the crack addicts and all the financial markets. The slightest idea that they might stop, and we get a day like uh, yesterday, which, as we said, did have some pretty good uh, bottoming, though, didn't it? Bitcoin is nuts. Up 33% from from the lows. Down 50 from the highs, but then back up 33%. It's like, I mean... That'll get your attention what did, if you What did you think you of the bought. Fed's comments when they, where they say they're going to maybe start discussing at that. some point, eventually discuss, you know, they, they, they hedged it as much as possible, but the markets did go up from there. Is that because it sounds like, okay, we're, we're not doing it tomorrow. We're going right. to talk about potentially stopping some of the purchases we're making in the bond market and, and maybe slightly taper at some point? Planning to come up with a plan at some point to come up with a plan. And, it, and that's a, that reminds me of when we had Judy Shelton on, who says there's no, you know, they got everybody, it's like they're almost like a cult. You know, no, no, we're not, if, you, if anyone even, you know, thinks about going against what the consensus is, and I, I think you are seeing a few people do that now. And maybe that's sort of leaking out. Yeah. Th- those it, April, it those like were a, April it, comments, weren't they, that, uh, that, that, that are coming out? Six weeks out. ago. Know, where, it's usually you get where six are weeks they later, now? right? They must be even well, more. And, and that would be the, that was my question. They must be more concerned at this point than they were six weeks ago. But then I thought all these commodities that we think are showing underlying inflation, they're all backing off, too. So was that all just asset yeah. inflation, not real inflation? That, well, you know, that I, I think it's actually hard to get some of this stuff. It's the demand picture and really actual supply chain issues that play into this, too. It's been hard to get some things like Sounds lumber and, and other issues. And, and I mm. actually wonder if that plays into Home Depot and Lowe's, where you've actually hit prices that are so high. And, and this is all anecdotal, but the people I talked to who were trying to do home construction projects or uh, con- uh, contractors trying to do things, there have been things that have been put on hold because those prices have gotten so ridiculous. Remember, Bert, Barry Stern p- pointed out for the first time ever, it's cheaper to build a building with steel frames instead of lumber. And that's just nuts. Uh, you know, Home Depot talked about how some of their trends were actually slowing in recent weeks. I think that has to be because some people said, forget it. I'm not doing this part project at these prices. And, and that will get fixed eventually by the supply chain, at least to some extent. An update now on the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack that stifled fuel supplies uh, in the East Coast. The uh, CEO of Colonial telling The Wall Street Journal he authorized a $4.4 million ransom payment because executives were unsure how badly the cyber attack breached its systems and consequently how long it would take to bring back the pipeline. He said he knew the decision was controversial and wasn't comfortable paying money to the hackers, but felt it was the right thing to do, he said, for the country. Now, the FBI advises companies not to pay ransoms for hacked data, but many companies do. Colonial said it paid the ransom in consultation with experts who had previously dealt with what they called Dark Side, which was that criminal hacker organization. The CEO said it'll take months of work to recover some business systems and will cost Colonial tens of millions of dollars. But... I think, guys, if, when you dig into it, and Eamon Javers has said this before, I think a lot of people pay ransom that we just never even hear about, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. And, yeah. um, and I think it gets to the whole question, I, though, I about, right. about how, these, how these ransoms are paid. goes back to the issues of Bitcoin and other types of crypto that's being used in all of these, these types of things. He said it was like I mean, 70, 75, or he didn't say, someone, someone told the journal that it was 75 right. or 76 Bitcoin that they paid for it. But these guys right. are not dropping off, uh, dropping off suitcases of cash. So when people say, right. can, can crypto right. be used for illicit purposes? And then when people say, oh, it's so trackable, it's the most amazing new technology, 
If so, why? Part of why, why people that? love it, though. The freedom of it and the anonymity of it is also part of why, well, why people no, but it love it. It's either can... one or the other, though. No, it's, it's either one or the other. Not, what you not, have is so many life. of the... Nothing in life is either one or the other. No, I know, but I'm saying so many of the crypto bulls will come on and tell you, no, 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 you don't understand. This is the safest thing out there, and you can track everything because everything has a... If you have criminal intentions, the entire drug cartel and Cali cartel and everything else is all done with dollars. So if you've got criminal intentions, you're going to be able to do it. Probably 5% of the criminal money laundering and everything else in the world is crypto at this point. So 95% has gone on without crypto. So it's easier, it's better, it's, the, it's very elegant. And I got a letter out there. It wasn't to me, it was to the previous occupant of the house. And I told you about it. It said, we know all of what you're doing with all with your girlfriend <laughs> right. and your wife's going to know. And if you try to tell her, it's, that's not going to work because we're going to tell all your neighbors. And, and reading it, so, I'm like, and uh, you, you sent know, them and, some Bitcoin. I understand. But, <laughs> so I, <laughs> we got to talk milk today, guys. We've got a, we got a, we got milk. I don't know. If, not I don't know if we milk. really have milk. Not I, don't, milk. I don't know. It's not I don't know. Milk. I don't know. What do you mean uh, you don't Swedish know? Vegan. Milky, milky, but it's I, I haven't it's decided. Where I, I mean, this goes back to my whole almond milk isn't milk situation. Swedish uh, vegan milkmaker uh, Oatly Group raising $1.4 billion in its U.S. IPO. Pricing shares at $17 a piece. It's the high end of expectations. Uh, we're going to talk to the CEO in just a little bit. The stock begins trading today on the NASDAQ ticker under that ticker OTLY. And celebrity backers of the dairy alternative company include Oprah Winfrey and Natalie Portman. We can ask him whether it's really milk or not. You just I'm put sure, it in I don't coffee. know what he's going to say. You put it on cereal? I mean, you use it for everything? What, what do you, I think uh, you do. You're yeah, supposed, you can use but it for there's extra. But it's there's not. There's extra you, sugar. You have to lactate because to get milk. It, it's not it, lactated. It starts. <laughs> you have to what? What? Milk comes from lactation. That's like the definition of it. We Look, know I, I that. Have you don't have to, rem- you don't have to remind right us. I like almond milk. Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uncomfortable guys. That's not mentioned. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Lactation. Do we have any? You don't have any? Oh, Is there any? Can I, you I buy? have some in the fridge right now. You do? Yeah. Oatly? You do. You have I do. Oatly. I, I do have oat milk. It's not Oatly, but I do have some oat milk in the fridge right now. I have soy milk. I have teenagers. Almond milk's okay. I used to drink almond milk. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I don't think about milk a lot. Just for my coffee, that's really, you know. Adults don't have much milk anymore. Sorkin, you don't have milk. Lactated milk, milk for your coffee. Very rare. No. Very rare to, to use milk uh, for anything. That's good. Too much too fatty. I try to stay black with the coffee. Black coffee. Absolutely. Why? It's part of the fasting thing, Be- right? Because Becky knows, see, we haven't all been together for a long time. She knows I'm always trying to do this crazy anywhere between 12. I can't get to 16 hours, but just at least a straight 12 hour uh, fast from dinner to to morning. So and black coffee does not count as long as it's black. That's why when you go to the doctor, they they tell you you can have black coffee, but you can't have anything else. So that's I try to. So you fast and then and then you have eight. Donuts. And then I binge after, as you know. So, yes, it, it, all, it all makes no sense. But no I, sense. It's, how, it's how I do it. Okay. It's kind of like getting a Diet Coke with the Big Mac and fries. Right. Coming up, more on Wall Street's wild week and investor of the old guard, private equity titan David Rubenstein. Even he's gotten into crypto, and he has a warning. You should expect big ups and downs and big 
uh, fluctuations. And if you're not prepared for that, don't go into cryptocurrency. But the idea that cryptocurrency is going to go away or that the government is going to make be able to stop cryptocurrency from being something investors want, I think is unrealistic. Squawk Pod is back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. All right, for more on the markets, the latest messaging from the Fed and the economy, let's bring in David Rubenstein. Of course, he's the Carlyle Group co-founder and the co-executive chairman. And David, you are an expert on the markets. You're an expert on the ways of Washington, and that makes you pretty much the perfect guest right now because those two worlds are colliding in a big way. And much of that lands on what the Fed is going to do, what they've been messaging, what they've been saying, what you think they'll do next. Um, I watched a great interview you did with Jay Powell, and I didn't realize until that interview that you had hired him way back when. I just wonder what you think he's thinking as he looks at the markets, as he looks at what's happening all the way around. Jay Powell uh, is a very steady person. He's not somebody that jumps to the markets up and down uh, every hour by the hour. When he was at Carlisle, he was very steady, a very good investment professional. And I think he's made it clear he's not changing on the dime. So what he said is that it's going to take something uh, more significant than what we've seen to date before the Fed is, I think, going to change its uh, its interest rate policy or increase the uh, discount rate. So I think he's made it pretty clear that while they're looking at inflation uh, that's arising a little bit, probably not until the end of this year will you see any real policy change of significance. The market would like predictability. What business people really want more than anything else is tell us what the rules are, tell us what the the, the way we're going to have to operate is, and we'll we'll deal with it. And I think right now the market is, uh, I think, always nervous. Markets are always jumpy, but but I think the Fed is basically trying to be a a, a bulwark and say, look, we're not going to move every hour on the hour based on uh, trading one day or another. So I think he's unlikely to make major changes in the near future, in my view. I know that they their comments on April were now public now. Uh, but I, I don't think that the Fed is likely to all of a sudden say, you know what, we got nervous and we, we're going to increase interest rates. I don't see that happening anytime soon based on what I know about the way the Fed operates. So the Fed's making that decision based on what it kind of sees in the economy, also based on what it, it, it knows the markets wow. are looking to hear. But at Carlisle, you also have so many companies and you see the inflation that, that's kind of running through the economy right now in, in terms of the inputs, in terms of wages, in terms of commodities. Um, right. What do you well, think me, as as a as the head of so many businesses and and somebody who really sees these these numbers is the Fed right to be complacent? I wouldn't say they're complacent. I think they're very 
careful, but I don't think they're jumping around. But let me put it in context. When I worked in the White House a long time ago under President Carter, we had double-digit inflation. And double-digit inflation is terrible to live through. We're not talking about anything close to that. We've averaged under 2% for the last 25 years. If we could get above 2% on a consistent basis, the Fed would be actually not disappointed. When we went to college, the average textbooks used to say that 3 or 4% inflation was actually pretty uh, standard and okay. So we're really only talking about inflation that might go above the 2% we've had for some time. And I think if it went above 2% for a while, the Fed would be okay. If it got to 4, 5, 6, and 7%, that's a different story. But I don't think anybody's predicting that. So I don't really think inflation is, um, is a big concern now, certainly not anything compared to what we've had in the past. Here's the argument, though. When, when you talk to people who do raise concerns about this, they say if the Fed waits until it sees the whites of inflation's eyes, that it'll be too late, that things will already have kind of ricocheted at that point, the flywheel will be moving, and it will be quite a bit tougher and more painful to stop it. What, what do you say back to that? Well, we're still in a fragile economy. Remember, we're still in a pandemic, and a large part of the population is not employed fully. And therefore, I think if the Fed were to do something now, and I think the Fed recognizes this, it's likely to increase unemployment to an unacceptable level. I think the Fed is weighing many different things, not just the bond markets. It's weighing the impact on the, on the, on the uh, unemployment rate. And I think if the Fed were to all of a sudden increase interest rates in some precipitous way, I think it would be seen as uh, not good for the economy. We should get out of the pandemic and go back to a more normal economy before, before the Fed can really make a real judgment, in my view. And I think that's probably how they're looking at it. Uh, again, everybody who's a day trader would like to, to have things move quickly because that's the way they respond to things. But the Fed tends to take a longer term position. I also think that, we're, remember, we're talking about inflation, if it happens, that is maybe slightly above the, the Fed's target of 2%. And we haven't really had that on a consistent basis. 2% or 2.5% of inflation is not going to ruin the economy as much as, uh, as people might predict right now. David, I know you're a long-term investor and not somebody who looks at, at many of these day-to-day -day moves, but yesterday was pretty weird, especially when you looked at cryptocurrency, a decline of 46% for Ethereum. I mean, you feel moves like that and you wonder how much froth has built up in the markets. Um, you wonder how much momentum has been driving things. And what, 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 what would you take away? Even as a long-term investor, you have to pay attention to some of these moves. Well, remember, crypto has come from nowhere to be a force in the market. It's, uh, in effect, a gold substitute for some. And I have uh, invested in not cryptocurrencies myself, but in things that uh, I would say facilitate the trading of it in various companies that are helping to um, uh, trade or make it easier for people to be involved with cryptocurrency. And I did that in part because I think it's here to stay. Cryptocurrency is not going away, uh, just like gold is not going away. So yes, it had its ups and downs, and yesterday was not a good day for it. But that's true of anything that is relatively new. And I don't think you're going to see anything like crypto going away and, and disappearing. It's, it's here. And it's here because people in the market want something other than just the traditional currencies that we've had. And whether that's right or wrong, it's, it's clearly something that the market wants. So yes, it, if you go into cryptocurrencies, you should expect big ups and downs and big uh, fluctuations. And if you're not prepared for that, don't go into cryptocurrency. But the idea that cryptocurrency is going to go away or that the government is going to make, be able to stop cryptocurrency from being something investors want, I think is unrealistic at this point. Well, e even if you're looking at some of those trading apparatuses for it, Coinbase, I think, is down 40 percent from its initial public offering at the middle of last month. 
I mean, that's pretty volatile tool, too. I'm, I'm not sure if Coinbase is the one that you were investing in that you were talking about, but that volatility plays out all the way across. Yes, of course, the markets are volatile in that area. And, but Coinbase's market cap is still relatively very, very high for a company that's relatively young. So I don't think a lot of people um, are, are worried that, that Coinbase is going to be in trouble in any significant way. The market fluctuates a bit on things like that, and Coinbase reflects that. But I, don't, I wouldn't worry about it as much as, as I, I think some people have, and who are day traders are worrying about it. I do think it's, uh, it's a good company. It's likely to be around for quite some time, and it, it does provide a service. So again, if you think cryptocurrencies are, are, are inappropriate or not something that's consistent with the way we operate our economy, then don't invest in it. But I do think it's a good substitute for some people to have uh, some different type of uh, uh, investment other than the traditional investments. And I think it's going to be here for a while. And many people increasingly are looking at investing in this for some percentage of their portfolio. Is Coinbase the one you invested in or did you invest no. in different ones? No, I made an investment in a, in a privately held company. Got it. Um, all right, let's talk about the, the health of the market, um, because, again, that's got to be something that you're always gauging. Uh, if you're looking at either buying companies, the cost of those companies have, have been driven up probably by what we've seen in the marketplace. I'm not sure if that's the, if that's the case still in the private market. Um, and then can you turn those companies around and... and bring them back for public offerings at any point, too? How, how do you kind of gauge the health of each of those markets right now? Right now, the, the markets are expensive. There's no doubt that if you want to buy a privately traded company for a buyout or a, a minority investment in a private kind of company, you're going to pay double-digit EBITDA multiples when you might not have had to pay that a couple years ago. So the prices are much higher. And one of the reasons for that is that investors are willing to take somewhat lower rates of return. Because interest rates have been so low, investors are willing, as an alternative, to take lower uh, private equity returns than they might have five or six years ago. And that's enabled people, and also because debt is relatively inexpensive, to pay relatively high prices. But the private equity market is in pretty good shape. Uh, it's relatively uh, not that difficult to raise new money. There are a lot of deals going on. Prices are robust. But I don't think any, see any big problem in the private equity market. I think what the private equity market would like more than anything else, the same thing the business community would like, is just certainty. Just tell us what the rules are. And I think to the extent that Congress can uh, address the issues on infrastructure and taxes in the relatively near future and tell us where we're going, that would be helpful. Again, what business people really want is some kind of certainty. And I think we'll have some uncertainty for a while until we know what Congress is likely to do in, in terms of uh, taxes or in corporate taxes, individual taxes and so forth. And Congress, if they could address that in a bipartisan fashion, that would be good. But even if it's not in a bipartisan fashion, just finish the, uh, the task at hand. That would think that would be helpful for the markets. Even if it means that taxes on businesses go up by 35 percent, they'd rather just see that than have, have to wait it out? I think the business community, uh, nobody wants higher taxes that I've met. Uh, most people want have taxes uh, lower than they are. But I think the business community recognizes that. Congress needs to pay and the government needs to pay for some of the things we're doing. We do have a $28 trillion debt right now, outstanding debt. We're running an annual deficit of $3.3 to $3.5 trillion. And the business people are recognized that at some point we're going to have to pay for some of this. So I wouldn't say that business people are begging Congress to increase corporate tax rates, but I think they recognize it's likely that if we're going to have an infrastructure bill, it's going to be paid for to some extent by corporate tax increases of some level, maybe not the same level the president has proposed. And of course, Congress really writes tax laws. Usually it takes a while to do it. If we could do it quicker rather than, than uh, over a longer period of time, I think the business community would, would be happy with that. David, always good to see you.
Thanks for joining us this morning. My pleasure. Thank you, Becky. Next on Squawk Pod, got alt milk. Swedish oat milk brand Oatly makes a splash with its billion-dollar-plus IPO. The CEO, Tony Peterson. We know for a fact that you need to deliver on many multiple components. Taste is definitely one. It has to be nutritious for you. But the other two parts, emotional connection with people and sustainability credentials. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Swedish vegan milkmaker Oatly makes its initial public offering today, expected to raise nearly $1.5 billion. And this company, with celebrity backers including Oprah Winfrey, Jay-Z, and Natalie Portman, is valued at more than $10 billion. Much of the demand for plant-based food is being led by millennials and Gen Z consumers who are more than willing to spend on sustainable products that are also healthy. As a result, Oatly's signature product, oat milk, is now sold in 60,000 retailers and over 32,000 coffee shops. That's a lot of baristas across more than 20 countries. But it's actually not a new product. The company was founded in 1994. It's over 25 years old. And, well, doesn't that make Oatly a millennial, too? For more on the company's NASDAQ debut, Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke to CEO Tony Peterson ahead of Oatly's first trade. Good morning to you. Congratulations uh, on this milestone uh, event uh, for Oatly. Um, it's, been, it's been quite a ride over the past couple of years and, and quite a growth story. Um, kind of under, want to understand wh- where you think we are in this, in this journey, if, if you will. Good morning. Thank you so much for, for having me here today. You know, we're obviously super, super excited. And, and yeah, I'm, I mean, this is just the beginning. This is just the very beginning. We're extremely proud of what we have accomplished so far. But, but you know, the, the massive opportunity that we have ahead of us, the, the, the runway and, and how we are building demand across three continents, right, on multiple channels from niche to, to, to mass and, and how su- successful we have been there. I mean, this is just the start. So, so we're super excited to be where we are today. In terms of valuation, $17 uh, opening price 10, gives you a $10 billion valuation. As a comparison, Beyond Meat uh, is at $6.5 billion. Tell us what you, how, how do you think the investor community honestly should comp you, especially given the fact that, you know, every quarter from now on, you're going to be giving your numbers publicly? Yeah, and we, I, I'm sitting here in front of you. I feel super confident about that. You know, the way we build uh, our position, you know, just think about what we do here, right? Uh, we, build in lo- we have the local organizations that we're building in local innovation power, local creative power, the commercial rollout and the supply. They're building it out, building out on across three continents, right? I don't see no one else, you know, taking that leadership position the way we are. We are really serious and ambitious about, ambitious about what we want to do here. 
Well, tell us about that ambition in terms of products, product category. How far do you think this brand can go? Hey, you know, if you look at the, you know, the reason why we started as a company, it was to create the best milk, period. We didn't try to, to mimic animal-based milk or anything like that. You know, we just wanted to do, you know, a milk that was better for people and the planet. Now, that's what you see. You look at, you know, you look at the population today, 60, 70 percent of all the current users joined plant-based milk only two years ago. And we know in the U.S., for instance, last three years, 32 percent reduced their, their, their dairy intake or moved away. We know plant-based milk capture around 55 to 60 percent of those, those consumers. Forty percent of our growth comes from new consumers. Now, the big change that has happened is the conversion and that is what we are driving. That is why the opportunity is so massive. You look at the $600 billion category, right, in grocery trade, you put food service on top of that. It's just a massive, massive addressable market there, there for right. us to take, Tony, and which we Tony, know that we are uh, driving. Tony, let me ask you this, though. What percentage of your customers you think are buying this product because they think it's better for the planet versus whether they think it's better for them. And there are there is a bit of controversy about whether it is better for them. Well, it is. And we can discuss that. But but hey, you know what? Uh, the way people approach this space is very, very different. We know for a fact that, you know, you need to deliver on many multiple uh, components. Taste is definitely one, right? You, you need to taste well and, and it has to taste really good. It has to be nutritious for you. But the other two parts and, and that, that's those two things that has changed emotional connection with people and sustainability credentials. Now, all these four items matters to people today, especially Gen Z and millennials. And, and that's for certain. Can we talk, though, about and we've had a big debate every time we, we talk about oatly milk. We, we it's a running I don't know if it's a running joke or, or what, but we say, is it really milk? Um, so we always say, is this really milk? That's one of the conversations we have. And the other is, is it really better for us? I know there's been a long uh, uh, term question about uh, the sugar breakdown in oatly milk relative to, frankly, Coca-Cola. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I think that's that. You know, we've been living with that, with that discussion for almost 30 years now. But it's the misconception. You know, when you break down the maltose, that's exactly what happens when you when you chew, take a kernel of those, you chew it, you swallow it, you digest it. That's exactly what we are replicating with our enzymatic process. So we just do that before you swallow it. And that's the beauty of it, how we just replicate the nature. And then what is the milk? Milk is a liquid food. So you have to provide for the macronutrients that the human body needs. We're one of the very few companies with an official claim in Europe stating that if you drink three glasses of oat milk every day, you either maintain or lower your cholesterol. Now that is scientifically proven and backed up. And that is official claim that is related to, to oatly only, you know. So is it a better milk for you? Yes, it is. And that's also part of why we're so successful. But there are the other items. Sustainability really, really matters to people today. But, you know, un unless you connect with people, un unless you're transparent and honest uh, about what you do, you really, really don't earn that trust, right? So I think we have all those components. Can you speak, I don't know if, if, Beck, if Becky's with us, in milk, soy milk, almond milk, oatly milk versus regular milk. Do you think of them all as really milk? We, we were talking about whether you need to, it, no. it comes from cows lactating effectively. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, 
Uh, you know, that definition is just, just stupid, uh, to be honest with you. But no, not all the beverages are, are milks. And that's the thing. It's, it's pretty confusing to be a consumer today, right? No milk milks are created the same. And the, there are the differences between the crops. So again, like, uh, you got to provide with the macronutrients that, the, the, you know, the fats, the carbs, the, the proteins, and the dietary fibers that we have that we know that also that, that, that people are lacking in the diet in the Western world. But there are so many items out there that are just beverages, you know? And that's the distinction between us and many of them. It's not just Jack, stupid, that's the actual definition of milk. Yeah, that's okay, we can, have a, we can have a discussion about that. The definition of milk is <laughs> an opaque, white-rich fluid and fat and protein secreted by female mammals for the nourishment of the young or to exploit or defraud someone. That's the second definition of it. But <laughs> yeah, okay. it's the definition of milk. <laughs> Let's have a discussion about why that exists, that definition. <laughs> okay, to Tony, uh, we wish you a lot of luck. We, we hope to follow your progress. We hope you come on back. We can, we can debate milk, but I also want to talk a lot more. Uh, about the company and, and, and the future of it. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. But congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You bet. Joe. All right. Very good. We need to move on before this just becomes utterly absurd. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.